I want to begin, as, as I often do, with a question. Uh, and, and it's a very important question. What did you have for lunch two weeks ago on Thursday? Do, do you remember? Two weeks ago on Thursday, what did you have for lunch? All right, if, if you can't uh, think about that, here's another question. What did you eat on your last birthday? Right, maybe you can remember that, right? The special celebration of a day. All right, all right. Here, here's another slightly different question. Uh, what did you order the last time you went out to, to eat with someone? Right? All right, so, so we got a few people thinking, remembering that. All right, so, so why am I asking all of these questions? What on earth is this about? Well, food plays a central and, and regular role in all of our lives, right? And so, so that first question, what did you have for lunch two weeks ago on Thursday? Now, most of you, most of you kind of scrunched your eyes together and had no idea, right? And so it's very likely that not one of us can actually answer that question or, or remember at all. But I'm pretty sure that most of us had some kind of lunch two weeks ago on Thursday. Like, it probably happened, even if you can't remember, right? And so, so most of our meals fall into this category, right? Nothing particularly special, but absolutely necessary for our daily nourishment, right? This is most of our meals. We don't remember them, but we do need them, all right? But then there's that second question. What did you have to eat on your last birthday, Right? And now you're a lot more likely to remember something like this because it's a particular meal for a special occasion. Right? And so maybe you had a favorite kind of food or a favorite restaurant that you went out to on your birthday. Um, or at the very least, maybe you had some cake and ice cream or something like that. When I was growing up, I always loved cookie cakes. They're, they were my favorite. Right? And, and so you know, the reason for this is that food is not only something that we need for daily nourishment. It's also something that we use for celebration, right? And so, and if it's not your birthday meal, everyone has some kind of special meal that you remember, right? Maybe it's that special family recipe that shows up every year at Thanksgiving or, or Christmas, uh, whatever it may be, because food is a way that we celebrate special occasions right? It's a way that we rejoice, right? But then there's that last question. What did you order the last time you went out to eat with someone, right? And now maybe the last time you met up with someone, it wasn't at a restaurant. But, but I'd suggest that most of the time that we meet up with someone, it is over some kind of food or some kind of drink, Right? I, I will never forget one of the stops that Caitlin and I made on our honeymoon in England. There was this, this prayer community that I had heard about, uh, sort of like a modern-day monastery of sorts, and, and I sent them a message asking if we could stop by uh, and visit uh, because it'd be fun to kind of see what, what this whole thing's like. And so I sent them a message, and they responded, and they said, you and your wife would be welcome to call in this afternoon for a short visit. Have a cuppa. All right? And they said, look around. Now, I'm familiar with the phrase cup of tea or the phrase cup of coffee. But this was a single word, cuppa, C-U-P-P-A. 
And, and I had no idea what this meant or was. I looked it up, and it's an actual thing. It's a phrase. It is a signifier for when you visit, of course you'll have something to drink. You know, get, get yourself a cuppa. And, and that is British hospitality at its best. And so it was great. We went there. We had some tea. We wandered around. And then they invited us to stay for dinner, but we were on the way to the place where we were staying that night. And so we said, no, thank you. And they in insisted, well, let us at least pack you some sandwiches. And so we did. Uh, and, and, and it was delicious and, and great. And, and that was so sweet. Um, but, but we do this very same thing. Right? When we connect with others, we tend to meet up over coffee or at a restaurant, or if someone's coming over to our home, usually we offer them something to drink or something to snack on. Right? And that's because food is a sign of hospitality. It's a sign of community and connection and friendship. All right? So, so whether it is having a forgettable lunch on a Thursday afternoon, having a great meal for a special occasion, or having a cuppa with a friend, right? Food is a thing of nourishment, a thing of celebration, and a thing of community. And all of these meanings about food come together every week as we gather at the table of the Lord to share bread and to, to share the cup and so this is what I want to spend some time reflecting on together this morning. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is where we're going to be, and we'll be reading uh, verse, beginning in verse 23 is where we'll be. And uh, while you're turning there, I'll remind you that for the past uh, few weeks, we've been in a series talking about our liturgy what it is that we do when we come together to worship. And throughout the series, we've said that if you want to know what a church believes, then don't just listen to their statements, but look at how they worship. Look at their liturgy, essentially. And so each week through the series, we've kind of shined a spotlight on some aspect of our liturgy to reflect on what it means and how it shapes us. And so we began several weeks ago talking about how we are gathered in prayer every week with the Lord's Prayer. And then we're united in song together, and we dwell in the Word. And this week, I want to consider how we are welcomed at the table. So hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also. And after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
And so whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for food, and thank you for this meal that you invite us to every week, for welcoming us at your table. I pray that as we consider these words, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Of all the things he could have chosen to be done in remembrance of him, Jesus chose a meal. This is what Tish Harrison Ward says in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she goes on to say that he could have asked his followers to do something impressive or, or mystical, like climbing a mountain, fasting for 40 days, or, or maybe having some sort of trippy sweat lodge ceremony. But instead, he picks the most ordinary of acts, eating, through which to be present to his people. Right? And so, so the table, though it comes in many forms, is a universal symbol. And this is where Jesus meets us. This is where Jesus invites us to gather. Jesus chose to be remembered in food and in drink. The stuff of nourishment, of celebration, of community. And throughout the years, this meal has come to be known by a number of different names, right? Some call it Lord's Supper. Some call it Eucharist. And some call it communion. And probably you're more familiar with with one of these, but each one holds significance and and meaning. And so I want to talk about each one of these names for this meal as we trace through this passage. So so first, let's consider the Lord's Supper, This, this name that we call this meal by, this name more than the others. I think, transports us back to that upper room where Jesus broke bread with his disciples. It is the Lord's Supper. This is the supper that Jesus shared with his followers. And that is where Paul begins. In in verse 23, he says, on the night when he was betrayed. And as he says that, it, it recalls the whole story of that evening and, and the whole day that followed, right? Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was condemned by religious leaders. He was denied by Peter. He was crucified by the political leaders, right? And while he hung there on the cross between two criminals, one of them mocks him. He says, if you're the Messiah, then, then save yourself and us. But then the other says, 
we've been condemned justly. We're getting what we deserve, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And in a wild act of faith, this criminal goes on to say to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so so with those simple words in our passage, on the night when he was betrayed, the whole rest of the story begins to unfold. And each one of us has a place in that story. Each one of us can probably identify with, with one of those characters that I just mentioned, one of those people. So, so where are you in that story? Where do you find yourself? Right? Perhaps, like Judas, you've betrayed Jesus. After following him for some time, you find yourself going back to sins again and again. Or, or maybe like Peter, you haven't quite betrayed Jesus, but, but just denied him by keeping quiet and trying to fit in. Because when Jesus is on trial, it is a lot easier to be anonymous than to be recognized as his follower. Or maybe like the religious and political leaders, you've favored your own power and place in the world more than the call of Christ. And though you haven't condemned and crucified Jesus, maybe you have neglected and forgotten the least of these. Perhaps like that first criminal on the cross, life has dealt you a, a really hard blow and you feel bitter toward God. And you say, like him, if you're so powerful, why don't you fix this already? Or maybe we find ourselves like that second criminal, desperate, and all we can do is cry out, Lord, please remember me. We all have some place in the story. So where are you? And the thing is, is that no matter who you are in this story. Jesus is the one who, just like that second criminal said, he has done nothing wrong. He is the innocent one who hangs in the place of the guilty. Jesus' blood covers over the betrayal, the denial, the sin, the bitterness, the desperation Jesus' blood covers you. He is the one who says to each of you, you can be with me in paradise. Now, now this story, wherever you are in it, this is the gospel. This is the story that we remember and that we recall every time we come to the table and partake in the Lord's Supper. And just like any common supper that we might have, this story is necessary for our nourishment. In verse 25 of our passage, Jesus says, do this as 
often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then again in verse 26, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that phrase, as often as, implies that this is something we keep coming back to. I think it's significant that Jesus chose to be remembered by a meal because no one ever grows out of eating. No one ever grows out of food. And sure, you may have had some really big meals in your life where at the end of it you were stuffed and you said something like, I'm never eating something ever again. But you always did. Because we always need to return to food for daily nourishment. And in the very same way, no one ever grows out of the gospel. No one ever graduates from the gospel. Grace is not something that just covers us once and then we're done. It is our daily nourishment. It is a way of life. And that's why we share the Lord's Supper together every week. This story, the gospel, the grace of God, the body and blood of Jesus, this is our ongoing nourishment. And just like your lunch two weeks ago on Thursday, not, it's not always going to be a great big breakthrough, right? It's not always going to be some wild spiritual experience. But it is nourishment. And so we keep coming back week after week. We come to the table to remember and to receive so, so the Lord's Supper, this name that we use to describe this meal, it's a name that recalls the story of that night and the ongoing, daily, necessary nourishment of the gospel. But another name that has come to, to represent this meal throughout the centuries is the word Eucharist. Now, this name is, is probably one of the least familiar to most of us. Because first of all, this is not a word that we use in everyday language, right? I don't know the last time that you talked about Eucharist with someone. Uh, and, and, and then secondly, our, our own church tradition doesn't typically use this name to, to describe this meal. It's most associated with Catholic churches and, and other traditions. But though this name may be the least familiar to us, it is actually probably one of the most biblical names for the meal. Because we see this word in verse 24 of our passage. And it also occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus has this meal with his disciples. But the reason we don't use this word in everyday English is because it's Greek. And so the word Eucharist is the word that simply means to give thanks. And so our passage says that Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had eucharistas, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. When Jesus had given thanks, right? And so the word eucharist is, is literally thanksgiving. 
So, so our country celebrates Thanksgiving once a year, but as followers of Jesus, we celebrate Thanksgiving every week, right? This is Eucharist. So if the name of the Lord's Supper points to the, the everyday ongoing nourishment of this meal, I think the name Eucharist points to the fact that this meal is a special celebration it is a time to give thanks and to rejoice. So, so often when we receive the bread and the cup, it's with kind of quiet reverence. And that's good. That's a good thing. But, but let's not forget to also receive with joy and with celebration. Because as we eat this meal, we don't only remember Jesus' death, we also celebrate his resurrection. Because it's true that the gospel calls us to repent of our sins, but repentance should not look like hanging our heads and moping around. The, the real and true picture of repentance is a head lifted up by the grace of God and a face that is turned toward Jesus in awe and wonder and in thanksgiving. And then look at verse 26 again. Paul writes, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim is not a quiet word. This is a word of exuberance. It's a word of joy, a word of thanksgiving and celebration. So ultimately, this meal doesn't only point us back to the night when Jesus was betrayed, but it also points us forward to the day when he will come again. And in the book of Revelation, that day is depicted as a great feast, a wonderful celebration. So, so never mind the question about what your last birthday meal was like. Perhaps a much better question is this. What will that meal of celebration be like? To sit at the table with Jesus in a world that has been redeemed. It truly will be Eucharist. The great thanksgiving. And so, the name Lord's Supper, it points us to the daily nourishment and then the name Eucharist points us to, to the special celebration that is this meal. But there's another name by which we know this meal. And it's the word communion. And, and this name, I think, points to the, the truly communal aspect of this meal. Because just like a coffee shop, a restaurant, or a hospitable cuppa, Communion is a place where we are welcomed and gathered together. And community is an essential aspect of this meal. And that is where the next few verses of our passage go. So, so look back again at verses 27 through 29. Paul writes, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. So examine yourselves 
and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard a really scary sermon about these verses, right? And, and these verses have caused a stir of, of various reactions throughout the years. They've often led to some measure of fear as we approach communion, which can be good if we take on a posture of, of reverence and awe toward God. But it can also be not so good because it often turns our eyes inward upon our own selves and transforms what was meant to be a public communal meal into a private devotional act. And that's precisely the opposite of what Paul is describing and instructing in these verses. Because it's true that in verse 28, he says, examine yourselves. But then he explains how we examine ourselves. In verse 29, it is by discerning the body. Now, we've often thought that maybe this means closing your eyes really tight and and thinking really hard about Jesus' body on the cross. But in context, it's pretty clear that it means something else. Because if you look before and after the passage that we've just read, you'll see that Paul is addressing some problems that the Corinthians have around their own practice of communion. There are divisions and there are factions among them. And then when it comes time to share the meal, they don't share, but rather stuff their own faces for themselves. Some get full and others go hungry. Paul describes. Some get drunk and others go thirsty. And so for the Corinthians, it wasn't a communal meal or a private devotion, but rather a personal pig-out fest. And Paul becomes angry with them that this has happened. And so in this context, when we get to verse 29, it becomes really clear that discerning the body doesn't mean closing our eyes to think hard about the body of Christ on the cross, but rather opening our eyes to look around at the body of Christ right here. This is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Examine yourselves by discerning the body of Christ. Look around you and see your brothers and your sisters. At the chapter before this, he says, Just as there is, is one loaf of bread, so we the many are one. And so this act of communion is an image of the community of the body of Christ. The name communion gets at that fact that this is communal to the core. And and I love that Jesus chose the elements of bread and wine for this because, you know, he could have chosen like air and water, right? 
And those are elements that come straight from God, straight from the earth. You breathe and you drink, and that's it. But, but no, Jesus chose bread and wine. These are elements that require farmers, vineyards, bakers, wineries, right? It takes a whole community to bring about bread and wine. This is essentially a communal act that we participate in, that we are a part of, a living part of. And so communion points to the communal reality of this. It also points to the hospitality of Christ. As, as Caitlin read as we were opening and worshiped this morning, Jesus often ate with sinners. And they gave him a real hard time for that. And, and hospitality, food still has a great deal to do with hospitality in our day, but it was perhaps even more important in the day of Jesus. To eat with someone was to embrace them and to welcome them. And Jesus ate with sinners. He welcomed them and came into their lives. And in the very same way, Jesus welcomes each one of us. Sinner, saint, wherever you are in that story, Jesus welcomes you at the table. It is a place of hospitality. And communion is the ultimate act of hospitality. Because Jesus not only welcomes us at his table, he welcomes us into his body. We don't only sit with him, we become part of him. And because we are hospitably welcomed by Christ, we can then extend that same welcome to one another here and to others in our life every day. This is what it means when Scripture says, we love because he first loved us. We welcome because he first welcomed us. And so every time that we take the bread and the cup, that we take communion, we are committing our lives to community and to hospitality. When we come to the table of communion, we know that we belong. And so who are those in your life that maybe God is inviting you to, to welcome, to bring in, to remind them you belong, to love just as Christ first loved you? And so this is the table that we come to every week, whether it's the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, or communion. It is the table of the Lord. And so as we gather at this table, may you be nourished, may you give thanks, and may you be welcomed. And when we go from here, may we offer that nourishment that celebration and that 
hospitality to all who we encounter. May it be so. Amen.